Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to You've Championed Yourself. Who are you? I'm Chris Ferguson, your host. It has always been a dream of mine to showcase ordinary people doing extraordinary things in their lives and for others. Those who have taken their dreams and their ideas and turned it into their reality. Uh, as they reach beyond their personal struggles, their pains, their traumas, where so many people give up, these people don't lose hope. There are the few that can walk through their obstacles and challenges. They don't know where it's going to take them. They don't know what's going to happen. They just trust themselves enough to not give up, to do the follow through in their personal life, their career, and in relationships. And this is what I call a champion in life. Today, I have an amazing individual. He's He's kind of like uh, we were talking before we got started. We've got a lot of connections going on here. So it's going to be an amazing, amazing conversation. And I'm honored to have him here. His name is Stephen Garvin. Let's welcome Stephen to the podcast. Hey, young man. Hey, Chris. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I just met you last night. I didn't even get you in a breakout room. So I, I'm, I'm really honored and excited to have you here. With all the people I interview, I always want to talk and start with their backstory, why they, where they were and where they are now. And, and that journey that got you to be who you are now. Sure. Well, you mentioned in the intro about how some people choose to, to keep going on, even when they they're confronting their, their dark night of the soul. Uh, I actually was facing my my shadow side um, was actually about to choose not to continue on mm. that journey uh, and my trigger warning uh, I was about to, to go to the pharmacy to get what I needed to exit stage left and before I went there I stopped in the restroom and I hear this voice that says, don't use a permanent solution to solve a temporary problem. And that was enough for me to push pause and say, okay, well, I don't know exactly what that means, but this feels pretty permanent and pretty, feels pretty awful. And I don't know how to deal with this, but I will see what happens. And then fast forward about three or four months and I get pulled into the HR director's office and the HR director is very, very kindly saying, we're having to let you go. And I'm literally biting my tongue because I'm so excited to be <laughs> getting out of that environment. <laughs> so I do my cartwheels out the door, figuratively speaking. And, you know, I entered what I call the, the creative wilderness, which was, you know, I'm no longer stuck in that environment, no longer doing the corporate accounting that I've been doing, no longer feeling, you know, about that high and no longer crying Sunday evenings because I know I need, need to go into work the next day. Mm. The awesome thing about being in the creative wilderness is that there's lots of opportunity to, to create and to do some cool things and do things that I'd... I had been putting on the back burner forever that, uh, you know, I didn't feel that I had the right or the abilities or the skill to do. The challenging thing about 
being in the creative wilderness is that there's lots of opportunity and you can do lots of different things. And I had no idea, you know, what was my path forward. So I had to, you know, kind of figure that out and, you know, look and see what is it that I really want to do. And part of what I really wanted to do was to start expressing the creative side of myself that I'd been suppressing for so long. One of the ways I describe it sometimes is it's, you know, like if you've ever uh, cooked in a cast iron skillet and, you know, you let it go for too long and it just, you pull off the lid and there's a big mess that just flows out all over the place. So that's kind of what happened with me. And I had to clean up the mess and, and start for probably the first time in my life, consciously start taking care of myself and practicing self-care and and doing things that that took care of me rather than me always taking care of either the messes or you know whether those messes be people or problems or, or whatever mm -hmm. and just opening up and seeing okay well what is it that i'm trying to do here and one of the things that i came into there was like I said, the creativity and that showed up in lots of different ways from paper mache to jewelry making to uh, painting and acrylics and watercolor and pastel and eventually photography and writing. And I mean, it was just lots of really juicy for me, fun things. And I got my hands dirty in lots of different ways and it, it was a really cool experience. But I also had to figure like, well, what's my central thread here? You know, what is the thing that I'm trying to pull all this together? How do I make the difference that I want to be making in the world? And I don't even know if I was actually at that stage at that time where I was thinking about all I wanted to do was not be as severely and dangerously depressed as I as I was. Mm -hmm. And part of that was just honoring the things that I, my heart was calling me to do. And now fast forward a bunch of years going through lots of books, lots of coaches, lots of training, lots of journaling and, and self-exploration. Now I do things like, you know, I run the Senior Heart Song Summit and I create books like uh, Heart Notes and my podcast is The Heroes of the Heart. And it, it's all about, you know, listening to that heart, that that inner guidance and and expressing and sharing who we are and what we're all about and being willing to, to share both the, you know, the things that are recognized as being awesome and also those things that are recognized both by ourselves and others as, as being possibly shameful, you know, and, and owning all of those things that, that when we really open up to our story, that amazing things happen. I love that. I love that. And you said it at the end, when you own it, all of a sudden you get clarity because I teach my clients that the stories we tell ourselves and the excuses we make for ourselves is our perspective and it becomes our perspective. But when we quit making those excuses for bad behaviors and for not being accountable and responsible for ourselves, it's just like this veil comes and pulls off your head. And it's like, well, I have a different view of life now. And, and it wasn't as crazy as it was, but why was I labeling myself so easily to be going down a toilet bowl flush when I'm more valuable and worthy of that? Mm, yes. And yeah. so I, like I said, you know, I mean, I had a, I had a, um, when I had COVID here last year, I had a dark night of the soul. So I get it. I've been a shamanic practitioner for 45 years and 
I had it, I was sleeping 17 hours a day and I went through probably nine days of the dark night of the soul. And I'm arguing with myself about all the negative stuff that I know I already dealt with. And it's like, why are you waking me up for this junk? This is over with. This is not an issue. Why are you trying to stir up junk? So I get it. I absolutely get it. And, and I've communicated this with my, with my, um, my audience. And the thing was, is um, I understand losing hope. I lost hope in my life. And most people don't know that. Well, in my audience, they know, but you might not know because we just met yesterday is that I had a near death experience at four mm -hmm. and I drank some liquid plumber. It was yeah, pink. Why? It was under the sink. I was four. I was hungry. You know, I couldn't open the refrigerator. I couldn't get to the higher cabinets. I just wasn't big enough. And they don't know why it didn't burn my esophagus and my throat and my, you know, intestines and stuff. But the one thing it did is the toxicity of my little body flatlined because it was over toxic. Hmm. It was more toxicity than oxygen in my blood. And wow. so the thing is, is that's how you flatline. Well, I'm four. I'm, I'm up in this ceiling looking down at this person with all these people around. I can see him crying. I can see him tubes and all this other stuff. And then I follow the, I go past the veils and I meet my creator and he's looking at me like, child, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, this is so nice. I like this place. And he's like, oh, that's great. But you can't say, okay. And I just stood there. Evidently he knew I was thick headed. Mm. So all of a sudden I get palm pumped back to, into my body. And then all of a sudden I'm looking up at the ceiling, looking for that person that was looking down at me. And so after that, it was like all these imaginary friends showed up. And that's what they always called it was my imaginary friends, but they weren't imaginary. They were spirits. Hmm. And then at eight, well, my dad's Native American. My mother's white. My dad's an alcoholic. My mother was physically abusive. And in that, my dad decided to change his duty station and just did not come home. Didn't tell anybody, just left. Mm. And so society norms at that time in my life, back in the sixties, when I was a young child was a single woman couldn't raise six kids by themselves. So the Catholic church says, let us help you. So I turned eight in February. I had my first Holy communion in May. And June 6th, my mother abandoned six kids in an orphanage that the Catholic Church had found for her to deposit us mm. and walked away. So I knew, I knew the loss of hope at that moment. But at that moment, and in my book, uh, Business Life in the Universe, Volume 6, I had a spirit guide come to me and say, oh, you're going to be fine. I'm going to be with you your entire life. Mm. And I'm like... I'm glad somebody is because I just got dumped, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm eight years old and all of a sudden I'm getting wisdoms in my life. I wasn't mature enough to understand. Sure. So I get the loss of hope and most people don't realize that, that, you know, wow, we didn't realize this happened to kids back in the sixties. It happened a lot. Yeah. The family, family unit totally disintegrated and started disintegrating in the sixties. And it's no wonder that now we have a hard time just being kind to people. Hmm. So getting back to you, I love your backstory, but how did you, well, when you said you've championed yourself from low depressions to the heights 
of a life of love. And I'm in awe of that because I've done the same thing. How yeah. did you do that? Well, you know, can you just, you know, recap some of the things that you went through that were, were really life altering? Well, first of all, the, I think it was more of a, there was the, the mindset shift of whereas I had literally always been putting myself last that, you know, I, I need to work and the way that I create value is by working all the time, so, you know, seven days a week mm -hmm. from sun up to sundown and into the late hours of the early hours of the next day um, that I realized that if I was going to get better, if I was going to overcome the, the struggles that I was having with depression, which incidentally started when I was a teenager, at least started when I was a teenager, that I needed to do things differently than I had been doing them. And that even with the support of a loving wife, you know, and, and children who um, were considerably younger, I mean, they were early teens and, uh, you know, younger, um, that even with that support, because of the depression, I couldn't see any of that support. You know, mm -hmm. I couldn't see the, the love that was there. And I had to, to start being, as you describe it, you know, my own champion, you know, that I had to, to say, okay, I'm going to be there for you, for me. And I'm going to make myself a priority rather than the person that we finally get to when everything else is done. So I started doing things, you know, I started doing yoga and meditation and uh, journaling and just really, but even more than, than those things as helpful as meditation and, and journaling have been, and they've been incredibly helpful, as I'm sure you, you and your audience have experienced, you know, it, that without that change in priorities from realizing that the only way that I can share my light is to keep that light burning, you know, in order for me to, to be there for others, I have to first be there for myself mm -hmm. that instead of saying, okay, well, I need to give all my energy out to other people saying, well, I need to make sure that my energy is taken care of. So one of the things that I did and coming from a corporate accounting background, one of the, the frameworks that I created in my mind was this idea of an emotional balance sheet, right? So, you, you know, we're familiar with financial balance sheets where there's assets and liabilities and so mm -hmm. forth. In an emotional balance sheet, it's similar concept. You have your assets, you have your liabilities. The assets were those things that, that boosted my energy, you know, the things that, that put me into a better place. The the liabilities were those things that drained my energy. And by reducing those things that were draining my energy, you know, cutting, being more intentional with the relationships that I had, you know, if, if seeking healthy relationships with people, seeking opportunities to improve the relationships that I had and letting go of those, those relationships that weren't working, you know, the ones that, that no longer <laughs> filled me or had possibly never had filled me that by creating those placing a, a priority and a, an emphasis on me being as healthy as I could be that that also changed the relationships that I had in my life you know and, and it started 
really opening up to being in relationship with other people. At the time, I had been married, you know, probably around 17 years or so. Mm-hmm. But I, I did not hang out with friends. I did not even view myself as really having any friends. I had acquaintances, but I didn't have people that I really cared about or that, that really mm-hmm. cared about me. And by starting to, to shift my, my relationship with myself, that also shifted my relationship with others, including my wife and my children and myself and, you know, all the other people that I came in contact with. And it, another really essential part of that was being willing to talk about the things that aren't so easy to talk about, to, mm-hmm. you know, to speak from a place of, of truth and of power. And one of the ways that that first showed up for me was I joined a, a Toastmasters club <laughs> somewhat reluctantly. Um, I basically attended a club just to shut the guy who was inviting me to go <laughs> just to get him to be quiet. Okay, okay, I went. Now leave me alone. <laughs> and it turned out that I had a it was a really fun club where the, the club president was actually a professional clown and you know did comedy and so forth. So it was, it wasn't the stuffy environment that I'd been imagining. Um, but in that environment, I started to speak more regularly. And finally, six years after my struggle and, and um, near attempt at taking my life, I started speaking publicly about my struggle. And whereas I expected people to throw things, you know, to get a rotten taste. <laughs> That instead I got people standing up, you know, and, and giving me standing ovations and just saying, you know, your story is so inspiring. And I'm like, we're talking about the same story here, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't I don't get it. I mean, like, what do you what do you find inspiring about what I'm talking about? Uh, and you know, just having that community, that support, that that not only so I had the love that I had for myself that was developing. I also had the support of a community that continued to expand and to grow. And another pivotal moment for me was, and this was just, I can remember exactly where I was when this happened. I was sitting on my bed and I was struggling with depression again. And I'm beating myself up because I'm getting depressed again, which is like, doesn't even, I mean, it, I guess it makes sense, but it, it's a catch-22. It's that evil cycle. Right. It's like, okay, well, I'm bad. Okay, well, you should feel bad that you feel bad. That You know, it's like, mm-hmm. so I, I stopped that cycle and just said, okay, you know, what if instead of being my biggest critic, I started to be my biggest cheerleader, you know, and, and mm-hmm. part of that was just accepting where I was at that moment, you know, instead of like, oh, it's bad that I'm depressed, just accepting, okay, well, isn't this interesting? I'm depressed. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, tell me like what's going on there, or you know, and, and kind of getting into the story behind the emotion and getting into the the story of you know what's working, what's not working. You know, every great story has conflict within it. You know, it has a contrast of of the the things that that go well and the things that the that don't go so well. And without both of those forces, you know, it doesn't make for a very interesting story. You know, you know, if a, if page on page one, Prince Charming gets the, the princess, princess. Yeah. 
you know, it's like, okay, well done, you know, next. And <laughs> there's no story there. You know, there's, there's gotta be some struggle. And part of my struggle was dealing, was dealing with depression and, and, and just accepting that that was part of my story, that it wasn't a quote unquote, a, a bad or a negative mm -hmm. emotion, that it was just an emotion. And, and like all emotions, it was giving me information that I could use to get to a better place. I like that because the thing is, is a lot of people don't realize there's millions of people that are depressed in this world, especially in this country with all the pressures and the, and the stuff going on. However, I loved your awareness that you had to bring you back and say, wait a minute, this is my feelings. This is not who I am. And there's a difference and, and, and learning that awareness because in your vulnerability, in that chaos and in that drama, that's where the growth happens. Mm -hmm. And most yes. people don't understand that. And so when you're confused, that's amazing because now all of a sudden you have the opportunity to grow from that. And like I say, and you said, champion yourself. It's a choice. Absolutely. Because the only one that can make you happy is you. I can't do it. Nobody else can do it. And if you're not happy, why? Yeah. What expectations are you having? What, you know, just, you know, and, and, but you were doing that. You were asking yourself those questions, you know, what's this coming up? So in that process, you were getting the information or the information was in you. You just hadn't tapped into it yet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And in, in fact, I'm currently working on a book that this morning I've had different titles over time, but the, the, my current iteration of the title is the untapped voice, you know, that, that when we tap into that voice, just like I talked about it, you know, in the restroom where the, you know, don't use a permanent solution to solve a temporary problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I could have totally ignored that, you know, I could have, mm -hmm. you know, gone ahead and done what I'd been planning on doing anyway. I didn't have to respond to that call to adventure, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and, and at any time we can say, you know, I, I can't do this. I, I'm no longer the champion or I never was the champion. But if we recognize that we are the champion and that we do have everything we need in order to accomplish what it is we want to do and, you know, what we've been kind of, you know, called to do or, or assigned to do, what, however you want to look at it, <laughs> that, you know, we wouldn't be given the, the calling if we weren't, didn't have it within us to, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah. continue to take that next step, you know, fall down seven times, get up eight. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it, it absolutely is true because see, the thing is, is I was in law enforcement for 40 years mm. and um, I had no voice. I had no voice as a child in the orphanage. I had no voice. I had no voice in my life and other people that became my childhood heroes spoke in their life, what they were going through. And I could relate to it because I didn't have a voice. I didn't have a choice. I felt like I was being bombarded and overwhelmed and, and, and I was being bullied unmercifully. Mm -hmm. So the fact was, is that I looked at those people and said, you know what? They're standing strong. They're speaking out. I can't speak, but I can stand in my power. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so no matter what it was, and I had, uh, thankfully, I had my spirit guides and the people that came to, to support me weren't in this physical world, but they gave me more support than anybody that I didn't have in my world. Mm, yes. 
And so I love that. But the biggest part that I love, Stephen, so much, or I, I think you go by Steve, don't you? I do. Okay. I'm sorry. Either way is good for me. So Okay. Okay. It's just that it's just your vulnerability as a male, because a lot of guys don't want to admit they have weak moments. They don't want to admit they don't have all the answers. They don't want to admit that, you know what, you got to own your junk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, and our culture doesn't really accept or give space for that expression, you know, and, and, and to be honest, I identify as non-binary. So I don't like normally fit in with like, this is what a, a masculine, right. You know, that's part of me, but it's not all of me. But but the thing is, is, you know, our, our culture really doesn't support and doesn't encourage, I don't think, honestly, anybody to, to really tap into the, the, the shadow side or the vulnerable side. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful for the work that Brene Brown has done, you know, to, to open up that conversation and for people to start looking at courage, at shame, at vulnerability, et cetera. Et cetera. And the conversation is beginning to open up to that, but there's still so much opportunity there for us to to open that door further, both externally and, and sharing it in, in forums like you've created here, but also to look inwardly and say, you know, I'm dealing with some really difficult things right now and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's the being vulnerable with others, you know, with a close friend or a publicly or, or however. But I think that all that that work really begins with that the genesis of it comes from when we allow it to, for us to, to look within and to see, you know, the, the, the frailty, the, the humanity, the, the challenges. And, mm -hmm. and instead of, shunning or belittling those things, having compassion for those things, you know, and, and appreciating the, the heroism in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. I agree. It takes a lot of courage some days just to get out of bed. So I always tell everybody, celebrate the small moments because I promise you there's a reason why it's a moment in your life. Mm, yeah. Because the fact is, is and but see, here's so many people when you were in the corporate world, I was in the corporate world, I worked for corporate security at one point, is that you had to be that, that chicken on the fire, and they turn up the heat and expect more and more and more. And you finally just said, I'm, I can't do this anymore. And but you still forced yourself to go. And that's where the duality comes, because your heart's not in it. You're not that dancing chicken. And so all of a sudden now you're like, I'm doing the best I can with what I have. And I'm fighting just to show up every day for myself. And now you want me to show up for you? Yeah. Yeah. And so I love the fact that, you know, in your way of describing it, it was like, wow. You know, I it's the vulnerability we need more of. We need people to say, you know, I'm not okay. And you know, we used to be able to do that in the 70s and people would listen and then all of a sudden things happen and it and just got, it's not about you, it's about us and what money and power and greed we can get from you and your work. Mm. Yes. So yeah. again, is it really culture or is it social norms that's, that's dictating that? Yeah, and... I'm not a sociologist like and you know, but 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 exactly. You know, it's like, do we allow ourselves and do we allow other people in our space to feel what they feel? You know, when 
you know, I recently had my sister recently lost her husband to cancer, et cetera. You know, and, and she kept on telling me, you know, I'm crying and crying and crying. And it's like, well, you know what? Allow yourself to, to feel what you feel, you know, rather than trying to shove it aside, allow yourself to, to be where you are. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when we, when we do go through a, a dark moment, rather than, you know, putting on a smiley face and, you know, <laughs> pretending that it's not there, that when we acknowledge that, you know, this might be a dark moment right now, acknowledging that and allowing it to be, because when we allow it to be, when we allow it to, to occur as it is, a, as it is occurring, mm-hmm. is that we can get through it so much faster, right? That, that we can transform it so much more quickly rather than, you know, you know, the old adage that what you resist persists, mm-hmm. right? So that if you stop resisting, then it, it transforms. <laughs> and that's what happens. It, it is all, I, I, my specialty when I worked in corrections was hostage negotiation because I had, to, I had the ability to talk people out of crisis. Mm. And then when I got into law enforcement, my specialty was criminal profiling, even though I worked with juveniles, troubled youth. None of these troubled youth knew that I was a del- considered a delinquent because I was an orphan. Mm. That's why I was labeled like that. So in that and spent 21 years of my career helping out troubled youth mm. and teaching them and showing them that they can change their circumstances just by graduating high school. It gives them the first leg up in their life to become competitive with everybody else on the planet. It's the minimum, but it gives you a starting point to be able to step up from there where a lot of people who just give up and drop out have nothing. And so they're not even a a viable option or a competitive partner or competitive against anybody else. Absolutely. You know, and I think to go along with that and, and kind of continue the earlier conversation is, you know, what would if I had been more emotionally aware or emotionally intelligent as a teenager, you know, just how much power that would have given me to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I imagine my life would, be, would have been very different than, than it has been, you know, and I've had a pretty good life. I mean, mm-hmm. but, but dealing with the, without having the tools to deal with our emotional challenges, mm-hmm. you know, rather, you know, just pushing kids through school and, and, and so forth. Um, and I'm all for education. Um, but as part of that education, also educating the internal person, not just the external, you know, that, that we help people to, to know that, you know, if you're having a bad day, there are options you can take that are, there are, you know, unhealthy options and there are healthy options. And, mm-hmm. and they're both available to us at any time a lot of times we get stuck in, especially if we're in a depressed state, we don't see those options. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like our, our window, our, <laughs> our view gets really narrowed. But if we can, one, be there for ourselves, which is a little more challenging, but especially if we can be there for other people, you know, if we can reach out and, and let people know that we're thinking about them and that we care about them, that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we've gone through difficult times too, then we open that those windows up, you know, we help, 
each other to see that even if there are difficult times in our lives, you know, I mean, your whole premise of your show, you know, you champion yourself. Mm -hmm. Who are you? You know, that sharing those stories, Mm -hmm. that when we share those stories, story does amazing things, right? That I love the idea that when two people, a storyteller and a story listener, were both on a, I think it was an MRI machine, but they were basically doing scans of each other, of the, the two brains. As the storyteller was telling their story and as the person was listening to it, the exact same things were going on in both brains because mm-hmm. of the, the mere neurons that are present in our minds. That when we hear a story that we relate to, that that we get the benefit of the person telling the story. So as, you know, as we tell these stories, you know, and, and there have been some really cool cultures peoples like you know the native americans where story was such a huge part of their culture and and sharing that passing the stories down to the next generation that that helps the next generation to to grow to develop to Mm -hmm. become the the people that they have the potential to be well see the thing is is um i agree but most native americans or um indigenous cultures didn't have written language. Mm-hmm. They didn't need it. That's why you see so many uh, uh, petroglyphs all over the world speaking of what they were going through and what they were experiencing. And they were doing it in pictures, like yes. a picture book. And so I agree with you wholeheartedly. So I want to talk to you about this mission to be the bright light in someone else's dark. I love this mission. I love it. Well, Honestly, it's kind of what what I've just been mentioning, you know, that when we share our stories, you know, whether it's, you know, and being the art lover that I am, you know, I, I don't really care how you share the story. You know, if it's through art, do it. You know, if it's through written word, do it. You know, if, if it's through oral and you're just, you know, gathering the kids around or, you know, your friends around, you know, sharing your stories, that that there's power there. Uh, and, and, you know, having been through my own dark night of the soul and my dark night of the soul lasted several years. I mean, it, it, it took me a while to, to go from wanting to end it all to no longer wanting to, to think to the next exit. You know, it, it, it was a daily practice and a daily struggle for years, but having gotten through that and gotten to the other side, the only, th- the thing that I wish more than anything is to be there for those people like myself mm-hmm. when I was in that really dark spot, you know, that, um, and when, as we allow ourselves to, to be there for each other, that we can help each other to get to a better place so much easier and more quickly than if we just, you know, every man for himself, you know, the, the survival of the fittest type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the survival of the fittest, the fittest is a person who's most connected, right? You know, the, the people who, have relationships. It, it's not necessarily just about the person who's got the the biggest muscles or the you know the biggest weapons or, or whatever. It, it's people who who are really connected and, and and listening to their community and and creating a dialogue and, and opening up. Just like you know, like you're doing here with the show. You know that that by creating these opportunities for us to to share the 
in in this manner that some really cool things can happen well i believe that a story can can save somebody's life depending on the story um the examples that that people realize they're oh my gosh i'm not alone uh, you know what there's other people depressed they don't think again, like you said, they have their limited views They're It's distorted too, because they're listening to this inner chatter. And in that they're not seeing that they're not alone in this boat. They're Absolutely. not the only one that's paddling. There's other people paddling too. But when you recognize there's more people like this, it's like, Oh, so I'm not, I'm not weird. I'm not abnormal because that's the first thing we think when we think about ourselves. Yeah. We're weird. We're abnormal. And then, and then we get this complex that says, Oh, well, we're weird. We're, we're you know, we're that uh, back in the seventies and eighties. And oh yeah. You're the nerd. Yes. You know, yes. and, and it's these labels. And, and we so, isolate like that. that yeah, you, you do. Know. You, you want to, you want to go within, but you don't go within to reflect. You go within to protect. Mm, yes. And so the thing is, is once you realize that, who knows that, you know, people do lose hope every day. People, people give up on life every day. People give up on themselves all the time. Absolutely. But what if they heard one story? What if one kid heard a story that there was somebody that had a life worse than they did as a kid? And all of a sudden your life doesn't feel so bad, but you can empathize and you feel that that emotion that you can relate to the struggles. And it teaches them, well, I don't have to give up. I don't have to say I'm done. I don't have to say or listen to this inner chatter of negativity that I'm not valued and worth. So this is why the first thing I did after I retired, I had a voice. I created this, this podcast and said, you know what? There's humanities does so much bad stuff to humanity. But there's millions and millions of people out there that do amazing things every day. If it's just getting out of bed to show up for themselves, that's a celebration. I'm telling you, because in their mind, they're telling themselves something different. Mm. Yes. So the fact is, is it's okay not to want to get out of bed. It's okay to not feel your best, but you can't waller in it because then that becomes your norm. It's what you focus on. You become. Yes, absolutely. And and we have a choice, you know, when we get to those points, you know, we can we can continue to wallow and, you know, circle down the drain or we can use that kind of that same energy to, to go the other direction. You know, it's like we don't we don't have to make dramatic changes in order to get to a better place. For me, one of the key ideas that I tapped into was just the idea of one percent incremental improvements that if i can just make today one percent better than yesterday mm -hmm. that over time over the course of a year if you do that one percent incremental improvement consistently over the year you go from a one percent improvement to a 3800 percent improvement mm -hmm. you know the absolutely i use that theory dealing with gang members on the streets of miami-dade and broward county uh which is fort lauderdale and the thing was, is in my mind, if I could get one kid out of gangs, I saw myself as being successful hmm. because a lot of the gangs, it's generational, their whole family's involved. And to get them to step up and stand in their power takes a lot of courage hmm. yes. to break that chain of abuse takes a lot of courage. 
And people instead, when they break that chain, they, uh, well, I had to do it. I had, I, I had to figure it out. No, you saved yourself. And again, Steve, this is how I'm seeing you by making those different choices, by standing in your authenticity, by standing in your power, you saved yourself. Hmm. Yes. And that's how powerful this conversation is. So I want to talk about the abundance story architect. We haven't talked about that yet. And you were kind of holding out on me, but it's like the universe knows me. And they're saying, you can't hide it from her. You can't hide <laughs> it. So can we talk about that? The abundance story architect? Because I sure. love that. Yeah. Well, there's two things about that. First of all, the architect came first. And when I was a kid, I would ride my bike around town and, and look for the neighborhoods with the cool house, coolest houses, right? You know, I, I, I have forever been fascinated by cool architecture. And I actually, my as a teenager and maybe even younger, my dream was to become an architect when I grew up. And that didn't happen, at least not in that way. But still that that principle of, you know, that, that we like creating a, a blueprint. Right. And, and I believe that our stories are our blueprints, that, that the story that we carry around with us isn't just about the past, but it's also how we're creating the future. And we can we have at any time the ability to rewrite those that blueprint in order to say, well, you know, this is the, the house that I have created for myself. And it's a you know a cozy cottage. Well, you can take that same blueprint paper and, and create a, a courageous castle. You know that that it's the same energy. It's just the vision that we hold, right? And so if if we tap into our stories and look at like what's the at the essence of our story, what is the thing that we really want? Who is it that we really are, and and who is our the people that we're really here to to impact? That when we own that story we can create amazing things right so we are the architects of our lives whether we recognize it or not the the abundance part of it when i left corporate accounting i wanted nothing to do with money i wanted nothing to do with numbers <laughs> i avoided going to the store i avoided seeing numbers on you know just because it had, had there was so much trauma around the the numbers in my life um, but about a year or two ago, I started to to realize that I had the the ability to rewrite that story. You know, I, that as I mean, I've got a master's in accounting. I spent years in corporate accounting. I'm I've got a good head for numbers. I I have the the skills to to create a, a different, a more abundant story with regards to to money, and just you know to to life in in general. And I read a book. Earlier this year, and I've been reading, I read a lot of books, but the book that I read earlier this year was A, a Happy Pocket Full of Money. And one of the things that it, that it says throughout the book, it, it, there are, there's three phrases or, or affirmations that it says repeatedly throughout the book. And that those affirmations are, I am abundant, I am wealth. No, I, I am abundance, I am wealth, and I am joy right? That, that it's not something to go get. It's not something that you either have or you don't. It, it is that you, we are abundance. Mm -hmm. You know, we are wealth, we are joy. 
And the part of that that I could really resonate with was the same person that was depressed and, and really struggling emotionally is the same person that is joyful today. You know, I, I'm not, I might do things differently, but I'm still essentially the same person. And it, it the that abundance, that wealth that, that we desire in our lives, whatever that may look like, you know, an abundance of, of happiness, an abundance of, you know, really great stories, an abundance of, of love and connection and so forth. You know, that, that abundance is always there, right? It, it's like you take a book, you know, a, a novel, and you start at the beginning of the novel and you have your inciting incident and you, you go through the end of the book. Well, the ending of that book is there from the beginning. It, it's not like it's, it, it's not separate from the book. It's part of the book. So wherever we are in our lives right now, right, if, if we are in the inciting incident where, you know, everything kind of falls apart, we have a tornado that comes to town or, or whatever. <laughs> that, or plants right atop of your head. Yeah, that there, there's also the happy resolution at the end of it. It, it is, they're there concurrently, right? And the same thing is true for finding our voice, for giving, uh, to enjoying mm -hmm. relationships, to you know, enjoying the abundance that we desire in our lives. It's, it's there. We might not be on that page yet, but it's still there. And all we have to do is, is continue the story that we're on and, and living into that realization at the end. I like that. I, lo I love that because that's exactly what it is. When you step out of your own way and you step out of your limiting beliefs your picture changes. All of a sudden, you're not you're you're not as fearful as you were before. You're not as apprehensive as you were before, and you're willing to take us a, a step forward, closer to that door, closer to that threshold, to where then all of a sudden you can get through the threshold and out into a whole different picture of life. And so, that's I love that. It's just that so much. So many people get caught up in reality and all the craziness going on in it. And it's censored. It's censored. Mm -hmm. We're told about what they want us to know. We're not told about what they don't want to know. I started, I quit watching TV as far as the, the news and all of the, the junk going on because it was like, it looked like a pissing contest. And there's no other word I can use than that. And then it was pointing fingers. And it's like, you know what, folks? You point the finger this way. They point the finger back. But guess what? You will both have fingers pointing back at you mm. as what you could have done to change this Absolutely. or made it better for society yeah, or, or understood compassion and done the right thing instead of the control and the power and the greed thing. Yeah, and absolutely. And I stopped watching the news, I don't know how many years ago, but a long time ago as well, just for that same reason. You know, we get to control what's on the screens of our lives. You know, whether that's our, our internal theater or whether it's, you know, the small screen or the big screen or, or whatever, we don't have to to play the, the stories, the news stories, the depressing stories, the, you know, the discouraging stories we can choose to play a, a more empowering more enlivening more abundant story mm -hmm. and in well and i agree so the fact is is 
with all of that happening around us, again, it's our choice. And how empowering is that, that we have a choice? And most people don't see it that way. But when they make a different choice, it's very empowering. Absolutely. So how did, let's talk about self-care. I'm all about self-care. I'm all, all about self-care. And let's talk about self-care. How do you, how do you help your one, your clients with self-care? And, and what do you practice? Yourself. I've, well, self-care is, is huge because, you know, if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we can't really take care of our others. You know, that, that if we aren't in our best, then how can we give our best to others? And, and, and self-care is something that we have to prioritize because it's so easy for our day to get filled mm-hmm. up with all kinds of other things. And we don't make a priority for us to do. And, you know, whatever your self-care practice is, you know, the important thing is, is that you're taking care of yourself. That, you know, I mean, for me, it's meditation and yoga and going for walks and, you know, reading and those types of things. And I do make them a priority. It's how I start out my day. It's how I spend the first couple hours of my every day is doing those self-care activities so that, you know, like, for instance, this morning I woke up kind of feeling low and... I could have just kind of wallowed in that or I could do like I did and, you know, and do the meditation, do the reading, do the things that, that bring my energy up and help me to get to a, a better place. And by being in that practice of, of doing that, it helped me to get to the point where, you know, I could show up on the different calls that I've had today, you know, that it, it enables me to, to be there for myself, but also for other people, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, if you think of every relationship you have in your life, there's one thing that that is true about every one of those relationships. You know, and that that relationship can be with your money, it can be with you know the work you're doing, it can be with you know your neighbor, it can be with you know a, a partner. But in all those relationships, you are present in that relationship, right? Or you should be. You should be. Yes. That. But but you are a a key member of that relationship, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. we have the opportunity to be present to, so, you know, existing in that relationship, but we also have the opportunity to be present in the moment, you know, aware and mindful about where we are in that story. And as we talked about earlier, you know, when we own our stories, when we own, you know, whether we're in the dark night of the soul right now or at a, a happier time mm-hmm. in the story, you know, that, that both of those places, when, when we are present to what's going on there, we have so much more power to us, right? I love the idea that I heard a while ago that comedy is tragedy plus time, right? So, you, and I loved the, hearing, I think it was Kat Navarro, a comedian who said, when she had cancer, she said, I'm in the tragedy portion of this comedy, you know, getting this bad news. Well, you know, give me some time and I will get to a better place. You know, mm-hmm. that, that all we have to do is is keep the story going and we will get to a better place. It always it always does. You know the thing is is uh, it, when you have so much junk to unload and a lot of people do. A lot of people go through childhood and it's not so cool. A lot of people go through midlife or go through life and it's struggle after struggle after struggle, pain after pain after pain. And at some point they go, man, when is this all going to change? And that's when they realize I have the ability to change it. 
Absolutely. Yes. And it's, and so I, I love the fact that um, in all of this, you, you talk about in your, um, which is self-care, but you, the book that you briefly mentioned, but I want to talk about it. It's your book about the heart notes. Mm, and yeah. I love the fact that people are speaking from the heart. And so can you give me the full title of that for me, Steve? And, and, and let's sure. talk about it. Yeah. So it's heart notes and anthology of inspiring letters to matters of the heart. And what it is, is a collection of 29 people that came together to write heart notes. And what a heart note is, is, is a letter to, you know, whatever the matter of the heart is that you're addressing, you know, so I have three heart notes of my own in this book. I have a heart note to, to money. I have a heart note to little wins and I have a heart note to abundance. And there are other heart notes in there. Like, you know, some people, there's, there are heart notes to, to voice, you know, there's a heart note to, to anger. There's a heart note to grief. There's a heart note to, well, numerous to, to their inner child or to their future self. You know, that, that when we open up that conversation with our heart, that, that amazing things can happen. When we open up to, to reconnect to what's at our core and, and, and what we're really feeling, then amazing things really can happen. It's when we shut that door, you know, and keep our heart locked away, mm -hmm. protecting it, you know, that that actually in closing off our hearts in, in an effort to protect ourselves, that's actually when we oftentimes do the most damage to our heart. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, thank you about that. I love your book and, and I, I recommend everybody get it. Um, if you just want to get beyond yourself, get beyond that moment you're having, look at how people are speaking from their hearts and sharing it because in those moments, you never know where that golden nugget's going to come and just be there in your life and say, wow, I never thought of that or I haven't thought about that in years. I need to do that. And that's the love of books. And that's the love from the authors. So yeah. I absolutely agree. So now it's time for three tips for my audience, Steve. Three tips, so just off the hand, what they could do today to make a difference in their life. Well, first tip, and I mentioned this earlier, is make yourself a priority. That in making yourself a priority, some people think that that is a selfish act. It's actually one of the most selfless things you can do because it allows you to be more generous with those around you. So the, the second tip would be in making yourself a priority, actually schedule time on your calendar so that you can spend time with yourself because the most important relationship that you have in your life is the one that you have with yourself. And the third one is as you make yourself a priority, spend time with yourself, is that you also open the door to, and share that with other people. You know, people really want to, to know the real authentic you, not just some cardboard cutout version of you. And, and that, you know, it includes both the, the celebration moments, but also includes the, the times when we're struggling, you know, because we all want to be a service. We all, all want to make a contribution. Mm -hmm. And part of that being able to work is that we allow ourselves to be contributed to. 
I love that. And, and, and that those are amazing because it is about, and you're, I was like, Oh my gosh, you're speaking my heart song because I also teach my clients boundaries because they don't have boundaries. And if you don't set your boundaries for yourself, if you don't teach people how to treat you, that's with your boundaries, you're going to get dumped on. Mm. And yeah. just a simple, you know, people build up walls and they get blind spotted, uh, you know, to the side. And they're like, man, I had my wall up to protect me. And it was like, yeah, you built it so high. You couldn't see what was coming at you. Yeah. You know, I talked to a, an architect, a, like a real, a, the what you would normally think of when you think of architects, designs, houses and buildings and schools and all that kind of thing. Um, what his process was when he when he first starts out on, on a project. And he said one of the very first things he does is figures out what the boundaries are of the project, because without knowing what those boundaries are, you, you don't know what you have to build on. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. I love that. And it's true. It's absolutely true. So, OK, I ask this of all my people that I interview. It's, it's that time. It's that moment where I want you to sit back relax, take a deep breath in, close your eyes and connect with your five-year-old inner child. And what would they say of you today and how far you've come? So what is coming to me is I, the four words I get to be me. I think that's four. Um, maybe that's five, but anyway, oh, you got eight forwards. Um, is that when we allow our, our inner child to come out and to play and give that child, and honestly, I, I mean, it, we're talking about ourselves, but, but allowing mm -hmm. that, that inner child part of us to come out and to play and, and to enjoy life, that amazing things happen. So often we want to push that inner child and I, when my therapist introduced me to the idea of an inner child, I said, hell no, we're not going there. <laughs> and it took some convincing for me to open up to entertaining that idea of, you know, what is it like for me to be my inner child? How do I be in this place? And, and when I did, you know, it created an opportunity for one of the most precious relationships in my life that you know rather than resisting and, and tucking our inner child away that by inviting our inner child into our lives that amazing beautiful things can happen and and we get to be ourselves fully but your inner child is so proud of you because you didn't give up you thought about it but you didn't give up and they said you had walked some really tough times and you were doing so much harm to yourself with your thoughts that they were actually, you had this dichotomy going on within you that you were, weren't seeing clearly. And that's why you were listening to the inner chatter. And they finally said they did what they had to do in your life to bring that voice to you. Yes. Yes. And so they were like, thank you for listening. Thank you for accepting. Ex thank you for allowing it so that you could tell your message so that this could help somebody else. And I truly, truly believe 
that if you tell your story and, and, you know, I used to think it before it's like, okay, I had a shit life. You know what? Everybody has a shit life. Mine's no different than everybody else's, but it, it was different than everybody else's and recognizing that it was different. And then I was ashamed that I was an orphan, that nobody loved me to be, to recognize that story in me. I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't want to tell nobody that, you know, I'm going to become my best version of me. And we're just going to push that to the side right now. And it was just like, okay, no, we can't do that. That's part of who that's my foundation. That's where I come from. And that was the lesson I had to learn in life. And who would taught me that well enough, but with children. Mm, mm. So the kids, when you're with kids, man, and they're street kids, they'll call you out on your junk if it's fake. And mm. they know when you're not real. Mm. So it's like, okay. So they never knew I was orphaned. They never knew I was a street kid. They just didn't know how to interpret me because I knew more than they knew. Mm. I, I had that compassion for their path, their journey. They didn't know it was my journey too at a different time. Sure. Yeah. And honestly, that's true for all of us. You know, we never really know what each other's paths or each other's stories until we open up to sharing or, or receiving those stories. <clears throat> so I, I, I got it. I thank you, Steve. I knew this was going to be an amazing conversation. I could sit here and talk to you all day and just continue bringing out all the important things in life that people overlook. So I love that you you have your book, The Heart Notes, and I love the fact that you're the abundance story architect. And that just speaks volumes of how far you've come in your life. Mm. And I want to honor you for that because sometimes we don't honor ourselves enough. We don't Very celebrate true. enough. And the fact is, is, I, the biggest thing I did to do, I had to forgive myself for all the thoughts that I had. And I finally said, you know what? I was going on what I knew, not what I understood. I just, what I knew. And it was limited. Yes. So I'm human. I'm flawed. Yes. As we and, all Exactly. But the thing is, is until you do that, you know, you have these people walking around like peacocks thinking that, you know, there's something different, something better. Let me tell you what, it doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter your social demographics. It matters on you, how you think. And I yeah. love the fact that mental health is coming out in society more back to where it used to be instead of that. Oh, you know, they're crazy. Yes. You know, they used to label people. You're crazy all the time. So it's like, okay, no, we can't do that. Let's get to the core of the problem. Yes. Absolutely. So I thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Steve. You're so welcome. I'm, I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity. Hold on one second. It takes a special kind of individual to dream their th and to communicate their thoughts, their ideas, turning it into the reality. Steve Garvin, you have done that. You've stepped past your fears. You stayed the course and you had the courage to do the follow through all the way to now. Steve Garvin, you've championed yourself. Now we know who you've become. Thank you for sharing your ideas, your thoughts, your dreams, and your inspirations of being of service for others. Celebrate you every day.